for the word. As we start to kind of get into this, I would say by way of preface here that this message this morning is something that has been what I would explain as just very heavy on my heart all week. Um, It's been very burden driven, you know, and there's just been kind of a heaviness, if you will, um, in terms of just everything that's going on in our nation. I think we would all agree that we are in tumultuous times. Agreed? And, um, I, I mean, I've always prayed for our country and for our leaders, but I have wept this last week like I've never wept before for our nation and for our land. And I am just so, uh, my, my hope for where we need to go is entirely in a move of God. I, I feel like we've crossed some lines here where we are beyond a point where a political leader or an economic leader or some sort of policy is going to resolve the issues that we are facing right now. We need those people. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't think that that's going to be able to heal our nation and bring our nation back to a point of unity. I think that an outpouring of God's spirit is what we require right now as much as ever before. Because only the Holy Spirit moving across a land is able to truly soften hearts. And that's what we need. We need a widespread softening of hearts all around us so that the hardness and the anger and the bitterness of everything that we're going through, and I'm not saying there aren't issues that need to be dealt with that are reason for action. There are. But I think that until that hardness and that anger melts away and our hearts are tender and pure and we can look at our brothers and sisters and say, That's another child of God. That's another person made in the image of God. And I have a love for them because of how God has loved me. Until we are at that point as a a majority, it's just, I I can't see how we're going to be able to navigate through transformation. And so where I see, I guess, and you probably expect that a pastor would say this, but I just believe that the church needs to lead the way. The church needs to lead the way. And when I say the church, I'm not referring to the institution. You understand that? I'm referring to us, the members, the people who are here in the body of Christ, but are in our society as well. That we need to be overflowing with what God is putting in us in such a way where that is spilling out all around us in our streets, in our neighborhoods, and in our communities. Now, Jesus spoke about in John chapter 4, he said that whoever comes to me, I, it's like a well, but this well never runs dry. And if you're thirsty, you can come and drink, and you'll never run out. And later, a few chapters after that, in John 7, he said that, and he was speaking about the Holy Spirit that would come, he said, There will be rivers of living water that will flow out of your belly. 
So the relationship that God wants to have with us is one that just literally works in, at the depths of who we are, but it flows so powerfully and we're so close with God that it literally spills out of us and overflows out of us to a lost and hurting world that's around us. And I think that's what we want to see. That's what we need to see right now. I, I've just studied various revivals over the centuries, especially in Europe and in America. And here's what you would find, okay? Because when that happens, you literally see an outpouring of God's spirit. And it's like people are coming to this place of tender hearts. Their, their hearts are being softened, but in a massive amount and a short amount of time. You understand that? Like that's the huge difference is the spike is just straight up and people are getting saved all over and their hearts are being changed because the Holy Spirit comes. God said in through Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. That's a tender heart that's susceptible to conviction and love in a way like never before. And that's what we need from God's people. And in revivals, you know, it, it's, we hear about all the widespread outpouring, but when you dig into the, the, the details behind everything or kind of at the epicenter of where it began, what you find is that it usually started with a just very small number of people crying out and praying for God to do something over the land. That there's maybe not even bigger than the amount of people that are in this room right now, but just night after night after night, praying, crying, weeping, seeking God, and more people would join, and more people would join, and all of a sudden, boom, there's an explosion, and it's just like a rocket that just takes off. And however many months or short amount of years that this would occur, the land would be totally transformed. You understand that? And the church's presence and role in society would be completely revolutionized from where it was before that. I would describe it as going from, you know, somewhat silent or separated from all matters of society to literally being integrated and engulfed in everything that's going on. Where the people of God, the church, are leading the way and influential in the matters of that day, the current events that we're facing. Man, that's what we need right now here in 2020, isn't it? And so the title of my message today is Going Deeper. Going Deeper. Because this is, this is my plea, is in, until every one of us in the church go deeper with God and continue to have more of God's spirit just flowing out of us, around us, it's that activity that's going to pave the way for the kind of change that we need to see. Would you all at least jump on with me on that? So the title of the message is Going Deeper. So let me ask you a question, a very sincere question. Do you want to go deeper? Yes. Let me ask it again. <laughs> Do you want to go deeper? Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't doing that a second time to try to incite more excitement out of you, although that was great. Um, <laughs> but I was doing it to try to exaggerate a point of, seriousness because a lot of people say they want to go deeper it's a great message to preach um, because it's usually very you know everybody wants that here's what I found is that going deeper requires something of us and Jesus said count the cost no man Proverbs says no man goes to war a king should he go to war and not count the cost and 
not know what it's going to take, he'll look like a fool if he doesn't do that. And there's a cost to this. And this is where the line of separation typically occurs. People want to go deeper if it'll come and slap them over the head. People want to go deeper if they can trip and fall into it. People want to go deeper if they can get it without rearranging or changing anything in their life right now. But what if I was to tell you I'm going to challenge you today. What if I was to tell you that going deeper, this kind of relationship with God is absolutely going to cost you and require you to really rearrange your life, to just rearrange your priorities and, frankly, what things your life pivot around. What drives your life? What does your life pivot around? For some people, it pivots around their career. For some people, it pivots around entertainment and fun. For some people, it pivots around desires and dreams that they're chasing. And for some people, it pivots around even current events that are happening. They drive their life. Listen to me. None of those things are bad things. But here's the problem. When they become the thing that your life pivots around, then it becomes unhealthy. Our lives are meant to entirely revolve around a relationship with God and seeking and following his ways. And if it's revolving around anything else, we will be mildly misdirected at best. He has to be first. And we have to have the approach that when we see what God is asking of us, that our response is literally, okay, Lord, I'll rearrange my whole life to do that. I'll restructure my entire life to fit you in. Listen to me. I've sat down with people who are in difficult situations, personally, addictions, marriage problems that are on the rocks, could potentially result in divorce, many things. And I have, just offering by way of advice and counsel, I have asked people to do what I consider to be some very uh, extreme things. Tell them, you're probably going to have to quit your job. You're probably never going to be able to get through this if you continue working right there. Or you're probably going to have to relocate. I mean some serious things. And you have to understand the context behind all that to probably understand why I said that. Here's what I'm saying, though. When it comes to going after God in his ways, nothing should take priority over that. Nothing should stand in the way of that. And going deeper with the Lord is something that is a lifelong journey. But it's an invitation, right? The prophet Ezekiel had a vision in chapter 47, and the vision went like this. There was a river that was flowing out from under the threshold of the temple. And that river and that water was flowing to the east, and then it would flow south. Eventually, it would spill into the Dead Sea. It would bring life into all that stuff. But it was a prophetic vision. But here's what was significant is that as Ezekiel walked down the river with the man that was leading him, the river got deeper the more that he walked. So when it first started, it says that it was like ankle deep. And then he went however many more cubits, which is like, I think, a quarter mile, and then it was to his knees. Then he went another quarter mile, and then it was to his waist. And then he went another, and it was so deep that he was literally engulfed in it. He would jump in, and he would be surrounded by all that water. That's a picture for us of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, 
you can go into the depths of God and your journey with him in a way that you could never probe the depths of. And you could literally just be surrounded with his beauty, his glory, his majesty. But you could also live your entire life in ankle-deep water if you're not willing to pay the price and, and sacrifice, let me say it that way, things of this worldly environment in order to achieve those things that are of eternal value. And a relationship with the Lord that is so deep and so close that things are just pouring out of us everywhere we go. That's my cry for the church today. And so I was reading the scriptures this last number of weeks, and the Lord showed me something that I had never seen before. And I want to read you these verses here in a minute out of Numbers chapter 28, okay? Um, and he showed me something that I had never seen that I believe speaks very much to this subject of going deeper with God and what is the cost, what is the price that we have to be willing to pay to get that. Um, but let me say this before I read these verses. Numbers chapter 28, like much of the Old Testament, especially Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, there are verses that you can read, and you can read them and be like, what did I just read? Everybody ever done that before? You know, I mean, it's, you, you got to dig into some of that stuff, right? And so I'm going to try to break this down in a way, I hope, that is simplifying some things that might be a little bit complex. So hang with me as I read this. Because there's 15 verses in Numbers chapter 28, but I promise you there's something very significant that I'm praying God will give me the ability to communicate effectively and that he will bring revelation and insight to you today. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we need you to speak to us today, God. We need you to open our eyes to see things that you want us to see, God. Bring your truth. Bring your word to us in a way that's palpable, God, and that just penetrates through to the division of joint and marrow and discerns our thoughts and intentions of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So like many things in the Old Testament, in the first five books, especially you know the four of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses is receiving the law. He's receiving the old covenant. Um, it's also called uh, the ordinances and, and different things like that. Here's what those things were designed to do. They were designed to sort of structure a lifestyle for God's people in a way where they could continually walk closely with him and walk under his blessing. So these things were not meant to be rules that would somehow like um, reluctantly or hesitantly be followed. They weren't things that people were to be like, oh, I'm going to do this and uh, I'm going to dread doing it. Okay, that's what you understand is that these things were actually for our good and for the people's good. If they would follow these ordinances and these laws, then they would experience all the blessings and the good things that would result from that. If they would go against these things, then there would ultimately be consequences. So you got to understand when God says, live this way, do these things, he's not doing it because he wants to punish us or he wants to take away joy, enjoyment and pleasure from our lives. He's doing these things and because he has, like Guy said this morning in our worship time, he has good things in mind for us. And he wants us to walk in those good things. And so he gives us statutes and 
principles to follow so that we could continue to stay on track with the preordained steps that he's laid out for us. You follow that, right? And so in Numbers chapter 28, these first 15 verses, we'll go ahead there now. These are some of the things that God is revealing, some ordinances to his people. And it, re- it, it is regarding different offerings and sacrifices that the people would bring on a daily, a, a weekly, and a monthly basis. So let's read chapter 28, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma, remember that, as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. One-tenth of an ephah of flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It's a regular burnt offering which is ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering, offering it as a, and a drink offering, and you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay, so those verses, he describes what's called the daily burnt offering. Here's what he was saying. Every day, the, the priest would lead the people in this sacrifice, the lamb with the oil, with the wine, and all that. And it was to be done in the morning, and it was to be done in the evening. Now, Jewish scholars will tell you that there's very great significance in that. Because it's the beginning and the end of the day. And so the sacrifice speaks to the praises and the worship of the people. Let's, let's marry the, some of this in the Old Testament with the New Testament, right? He says it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Which means when they would burn the sacrifices and the, the oil that was the incense that was mixed with that. There's a, there's a picture we see of the incense literally rising into heaven and being like a sweet aroma to God's senses because he enjoys the praises and the worship of his people. In in Revelation chapter 8, we see a picture where before it's toward the end of the tribulation and it says that there is uh, incense that's mixed with the prayers of the saints that's literally rising into the throne room of heaven. So this picture of the daily sacrifice in the morning and the evening and the sweet aroma that rises to the Lord is a picture in the New Testament of our prayers, petitions, and worship that we are to offer to God. Hebrews says that it's a sacrifice of our praise, right? Because it's a sacrifice of our time, everything else we would do, to give it to God and not something else. And it's literally like a sweet aroma in heaven. Isn't that, that was better than what you reacted to. All right. And so it was in the morning and the evening because they would set their attention and their focus on God as the day began. And they would look towards the day as what he would want to do with them and through them. And then at the end of the day, they would perform the second sacrifice because they would look back and reflect on what God had done and they would be giving thanks for that. So it's the beginning and the end of the day, right? And so that speaks to God is involved every day in everything. 
And he's asking for us to be focused on that and to put our eyes and affections on that and to give him thanks and to seek him for the guidance on a daily basis. So that was the daily offering. Now listen to this. On verse 9. Now on the Sabbath, we know is one day a week. In Jewish tradition, it was on Saturday. On the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish and two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour. How many was it in the daily? One-tenth. Now, on the Sabbath day, it's two-tenths, okay? Hang with me. This is a grain offering mixed with oil and with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. Okay, so that was weekly. Now that we have monthly, this is the last one, I promise, verses 11 through 15. At the beginning of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs, in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull. Two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for one ram. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil is a grain offering for each of the seven lambs as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, offering made by fire to the Lord. The drink offering shall be half of a hen of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, one-fourth of a hen for the lamb, and this is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. All right. I told you, you can read that and be like, what did I just read, you know? <laughs> but there's revelation in it, I promise you. So here's what the Lord showed me recently. I'm going to give you a demonstration because I, I like visuals and I think this helps. So he starts out, by the way, if you read the rest of the chapter 28, which you're like, please don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he speaks about the festivals for the rest of the year. So there are three festivals, spring, summer, and fall in Jewish tradition. And there are seven feasts surrounding those three festivals. And for each of those festivals, he gives other sacrifices and other offerings that were different from the ones that would be daily, weekly, or monthly. These would be throughout the festival periods. So here's what he's doing. God is laying out a cycle a lifestyle for their year of these different moments in different times where they would come and offer the sacrifices and praise and worship to God, different levels in these different intervals of time, okay? So let's talk about the, the daily offering, morning and evening. You had two lambs. Evie's <laughs> like, why do you have my lambs up there? I don't think they're lambs. So you have one in the morning and you had one in the evening, okay? And with each of the lambs for the daily offering, you had the oil, we'll call this the oil for each one, all right? You had the flour for each one, and then you also had the wine for each one. So that would happen Every day of the year. Let me say it this way. It says it like this in Leviticus. You will do this from generation to generation. <laughs> this was a lifestyle. The question you should be asking yourself is why, okay? Why is this so important? And we're going there. This was each day. Then once a week on the Sabbath, there would be two additional lambs. Sorry, guys. 
and then that would be on the Sabbath, those would also require oil or wine, flour, and oil. Then, at the beginning of every month, there would be seven lambs, one, two, three, four, five, six, four lambs, seven, once a month, and there would be two bulls and a ram once a month, and then again, the oil, the wine, and the flour. Here's what the Lord showed me recently that I never saw before. Can we put verse 9, verse 10 back up there? This is the weekly Sabbath. It's burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the normal burnt offering. I just never caught it before. And I thought, wait a minute. What does that mean? So I, I looked that up in the Hebrew. It means on top of, in addition to. Over, above, and beyond. So let me just make this picture clear for you. This is every day. But once a week, it wasn't just this. It was all of this. And then once a month, it was all of this plus the daily. And if the once the first of the month fell on a Sabbath and a normal day, it was all of that. Why is that so significant? Because what God is saying is in order for you to live in ongoing relationship with me the way I want you to, and for you to receive everything I have for you, you can't just be flatline in the way you offer your sacrifices to me. It can't just be the same normal mundane thing every single day. Because if it were that way, God knows our human nature and he knows it would just ultimately become just a level line for us, and it wouldn't be a significant. Here's what he's saying. Once a week, you need to press in more. There needs to be a greater sacrifice once a week. Once a month, it needs to be even greater. It's progressive. There's moments of explosive intensity throughout our lives that we must go and offer God sacrifices of ourselves in every way possible that are in greater levels and greater proportions than we are normally used to doing so that we can have this kind of relationship with God. Let me, let me give you kind of an example. Um, I'm really passionate about physical fitness, okay? I believe we should be healthy body, mind, and spirit. Now, I agree, scriptures are clear, spiritual matters are more weighty, right? Uh, bodily exercise profits a little, godliness profits all things. Um, but I still think that if you read the scriptures and study them, it's pretty clear, like, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to take care of it, and we're supposed to honor it. And so, um, but it's a deteriorating body, right? Paul, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's a ter deteriorating body. The older you get, it, it starts to break down. Eventually, we're going to get a heavenly body, which is really cool because I'm pretty sure that every one of those are totally chiseled with abs, 5% or less body fat, 
and you can eat anything you want, and it don't matter. Heavenly bodies digest that and turn everything into muscle. Sugar, processed foods, you name it, it's all just converted right into muscle. I'm just kidding. But, um, so I think we have to be, take care of ourselves, right? Body, mind, and spirit. And one of the ways that I like to train, so I lift and I run, and I like to do what's called interval training, right? MJ probably knows all about this. She's a trainer, so you can talk to her if you're interested, but she's great at it. So um, interval training is where you don't just kind of do the same routine all the time. You have these explosive moments in your routine. So if you're running, you don't just run at one pace the whole way. You'll, you'll, you'll jog a little bit, and then for maybe 60 seconds or 30 seconds or 100 yards, boom, you'll take off in a sprint as hard as you can, and then you'll slow back down to a jog. And you'll do this in like staggered levels and intervals. If you're working out with weights, you'll load up and go heavy, one or two reps, and come back to where you can do more. You, what that does is it just keeps your body shocked. It keeps your body from just settling in a routine and just becoming plateaued. You have to have that to continually break new ceilings. Everybody following where I'm going with this? So the Lord's saying there's got to be moments in your life Weekly, monthly, yearly, there have to be these points where you're going all in with God in ways that are greater intensity and proportion than you're going to do just on a normal, daily, everyday kind of basis. We have to sacrifice of ourselves, of our time, of our energy, of our resources. We have to rearrange things to say, God, you're going to get this from me every day. But you know what? On a weekly or a monthly basis at these different points, I'm going to be going even greater in my investment with my pursuit of you and what you have for me. Let's look at Moses whenever he went up. I think this is a great picture of our journey to pursue God, right? Moses going up the mountain into the cloud to get revelation from God. This is a picture of God drawing us up the mountain to receive from his presence what he wants to give us to go back down and lead people and influence people in our lives. So here's what happens. Moses is called to go up. First thing he does is he takes 70 elders and he travels up the mountain from camp a little ways and then they stop. They get an amazing picture, uh, uh, unveiling of the feet of God on a sapphire pavement that says it's literally like heaven in its clarity. They saw a picture of heaven up there. After that moment where they were going closer to the cloud and the presence of God, he called Moses up further. Moses and just Joshua, the 70 elders stayed behind. Moses and just Joshua went up further, and then they hung there closer to the cloud for six days. We passed by that, and, and I'm just telling you, six days where all they were focusing on was being in God's presence and being there with him. Okay, on the seventh day, God called Moses alone up the rest of the way into the cloud, and he was there 40 days and 40 nights and received incredible revelation. Here's what I found. Everybody wants the breakthrough. Of course we do. We all want the breakthrough. Very few people are willing to leave the convenience of camp to go up the mountain and hang up there with God as long as it takes to get it. 40 days, 7 days, 5 hours. I don't know. It, what is it for us? 
we're not under the law. I'm going to give you something on that in just a second. Okay, we're not, we're not offering daily sacrifices of animals anymore, but we're absolutely to offer daily sacrifices of praise and worship if we want everything that God has for us. One and a half hours on a Sunday ain't going to get it done for you. This is just a, this is just a corporate fellowship. This is a corporate worship environment that we're not supposed to de- neglect or deny. But this isn't your, I hope this isn't your entire life with God. Am I speaking to anybody today? I mean, most people want the breakthrough, but very few people are willing to go and do what it takes to get there. God's calling us to a place where we have these moments of intense outpouring and investment with him where our lives are like this. But so many people, what they want to do is they want to get on a kick for a, a couple days or a week, you know, and they get on this meal plan and they do it great for a week and then it's over. And then they're right back to where they were. Or they'll exercise for, you know, a couple weeks and then, like, all of a sudden life pulls them back and now that's over. And they, they have these, like, very sporadic, infrequent moments. And then you look at the whole year and guess what? No progress. No progress. Even the workouts, like, there's, like, really no forward movement. It's a lifestyle. I'm, I'm relating that to a, a relationship with God. It's a lifestyle. Of the offering of sacrifice of our praise and our worship daily, more weekly, more monthly, ongoing in levels of intensity that's going to continue to stretch our spiritual growth where we're constantly moving into new, moving beyond new plateaus and breaking through new ceilings to go to deeper levels with God than we've ever went before. That's how we're going to get there. What does the Bible say in Thessalonians? It says that we are to pray without ceasing. Okay? Now, let's examine that for a second. Because I, I've studied this, and here's what I've come to the conclusion. What does he mean by that? He does not mean that you literally stay praying, dear God this, dear God that, dear God this, dear God that, 100% of your time. That would, that would conflict with a calling, a mission, a going out. I mean, yeah, we're focused on God with what we're doing. But what he's saying is pray without ceasing. He's saying never let periods in your life come along where you get totally interrupted and go spances of time without doing these kinds of things. That's what he's saying. It's perpetual offerings from generation to generation it's lifestyle oriented it's ongoing pray without ceasing means never disengage from this lifestyle never break your pattern where you come along you'd be like oh man you know it's been a lot it's been a rough couple of months I need to get back to church I need to get back to reading my I need to get back to praying and it's been months since anything of heavenly orientation has been considered that's what he's saying you can't do That's what he's saying. You can't be in and out of these modes and expect to go into the depths of the relationship that God wants to have for you. And it's it's a sweet aroma that we continue to offer to him. But but let me make this really, really clear because I I, I don't want to be confusing about this. We are not under the law anymore. We are under the covenant of grace. You understand that? We are not coming in here every day to cut up animals and pour their blood on an altar and burn oil and incense. Our sacrifices are from the heart. 
Our sacrifices are from a place of spirit and truth now that we bring to God in a sincere way, daily, weekly, monthly, and ongoing. Jesus did not, however, come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Okay? What does that mean? It means he took what was in ordinance that has spiritual application and fundamental principle for our lives, and he completed it in perfection. And he bathed it under the covenant of blood in the covenant of grace. Listen to this. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, Let no one judge you in food or drink regarding festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So here's what would be legalistic. You have to do the Sabbath on a Saturday. You have to get up at 5 a.m. and have prayer every morning. That's legalistic. He's saying, don't let any man judge you in that. Look, I take my Sabbath on Mondays. I'm, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm not under the law. I'm under a covenant of grace, but I need to take the Sabbath. Because that's a blessing that God gave me to keep myself healthy and fresh. The principles still apply. I don't have to get up at 5 a.m. and pray every morning at that time, but I do pray every single day. I do offer sacrifices every single day. You understand? I don't have to, at the very first of every month, and if it's not the first day of the month, I missed my moment. But on some kind of monthly frequency and periods throughout the year, yeah, I'm telling you, you need to be going in deeper with God. You need to be giving more. You need to be investing more and seeking Him harder because it stretches you to places where you push other priorities aside to make more room for God in these different places and seasons of your life so that He can do a deeper work in you at those moments. Hallelujah. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus, he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle will not by no means pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. You understand this? So we need to live our lives in a way that God has ordained is is calling us to live them this is what's beautiful not because this is this is blows me away daily weekly you know giving more to god different people he doesn't do this and ask this because he needs it <laughs> i mean he loves our praises they're a sweet aroma but he's god he needs nothing he doesn't ask this because he needs it. He asks this because he wants what's best for us. And he knows that this kind of lifestyle is what's going to best prepare us, equip us, and fill us with everything that we need to be full of joy, peace, happiness, purpose, strength, and everything that God has planned for us. Doesn't that blow you away? And, and as you continue to pour into God, here's one of the great discoveries that you find, is that the more you start to live this way, 
the more you get to a point where you just can't get enough of him. And it's not a chore. It's not a rule. It's not a regimen that we drag ourselves to every day. It's something that we can't wait to go running towards and get with him and give him what we're so desperate to pour out to him because he's so deserving and worthy and that is just bubbling up out of us and has to get out. I mean, this last week, Katie took all six of the kids and they went down to Texas to go visit her aunt. And so, to my recollection, this is the longest that I've been apart from all of them at one time. And I learned a couple of things while they were gone. One, I learned how really quiet it can be. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. The first day or two, the silence was nice. Because we never have that. I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, it's kind of like that. But... But towards the third, fourth day, what I, what I started to realize is this, this doesn't work for me. If this would go on a little longer, I'm driving down there. Because I'm like, I need air. Like, I got I to gotta have that. And I feel that way with my loving father. I feel that way with him. I just can't get enough of him. I need him so much. And I can't wait to give him these moments. I can't wait to get with him in these times throughout my days, my weeks, my months, because he deserves it. And as much as I get out of it, refreshed, fulfilled, revelation, vision, insight, it all comes. It all is there. But I'm just telling you, that's not the prize. The prize is him. He is the treasure. He is the one that my heart adores. And everything that he gives is just a bonus. And whenever our heart is for him and not for things, that will properly orient us in our relationship with him in our lives. I'll close with this. Jesus, he modeled this. This is what's incredible is that Jesus, God, the Son, modeled this kind of lifestyle for us. Not going in and doing daily sacrifices and all that. He ushered in the new covenant, okay? And he modeled this. Luke 5, Jesus, this is one of many examples. But Luke 5, Jesus goes around, he's, he's healing everybody. Yeah, everybody. They brought everybody to Jesus. He healed everybody that they brought to him. Full of power, full of anointing. Okay, but there's one little verse that just jumped out at me recently. After all this, it says they brought everybody in and healed everybody. But often, Jesus withdrew. Often, Jesus withdrew. Where did he withdraw to? The desert, the wilderness, the mountain, wherever he went. But he went and withdrew to go and be with the Father. You get that? He showed us a life of perfect rhythm. He was, he was perfected in his sensitivity to this. Perfect rhythm and oscillation and grace in the way he did it. But he often 
withdrew. Here's what I want to say to you today. Lisa, you have a great calling on your life. God's doing, using you to do incredible things. You're such a blessing to our kids' ministry. You're a great mom. You have awesome things that are happening around you, and God just has more. But Lisa, often, you must withdraw. Suzanne, you have a great future and destiny. You and Jeffrey are a great couple and so much ahead of you in your future. God's going to do great and mighty things with you. Often, withdraw. Give God your best. He deserves it. Jesus said, when you go in to pray, you do it like this. You shut the door. Matthew 6, shut the door and get in the secret place where God. Great picture here. We have to close the door to the distractions of the world and the pull of life to keep us out of the secret place. You're going to have to pay a price. What does shutting the door look like in your life? It, it, it may very well mean ending some things. It may very well mean rearranging some things. It may very well mean that if God's going to get more Something else has to get less. But you're going to have to close the door. Jesus doesn't close the door for you. He says, you got to close the door. But when you do, you're in the secret place. And there's some of the most beautiful things that happen there. They're just between you and God. I don't want you to miss them. I want you to have every one of them. I want us all to have every moment we have with God so that we have rivers of living water flowing out of us all the time, powerful and effective whenever the ministry of service to God is he's calling you to do powerful, affected and anointed where rivers of living water are flowing out of you folks, because a world is dying right now and they need it they need it badly and if there's any hope for them it's going to be us as ambassadors of Christ carrying this to the places in our world where they are. Amen. I felt like it would be really great and appropriate today for us as we close to just have communion here as a family this morning. Look, this is another one of those things where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me and continue to do this. Apostle Paul said, but don't get caught up in a tradition or a routine where you do this in an unworthy manner, but frequently and routinely. There's, there's no yoke of a law on this. Like, it has to be done this amount of time. Just frequently and routinely do this. Because everything about this, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, it, it, it's all about the cross. And everything begins with the cross. It's what made the way and paved the way for everything we have in Christ. And it's appropriate for us to routinely, regularly continue to set our affection and our eyes on this and be thankful and give God praise for this. But let me read you something else that is really incredible about receiving communion. Paul was talking about how when they were not treating communion 
uh, properly. They were neglecting it or they were doing it in an unworthy manner where it was just routine. And so it no longer was a, a place of worship and truth, spirit and truth from their heart. This is what he said. For this reason, this is 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to look this up later. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now, I have studied this numerous times. Somebody may challenge me on this, but I'm just telling you. My conclusion is, is that there's healing that can happen. When our heart is right and we receive this cup and this bread, healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, Paul's saying, you're you're, you're becoming very sick as a people. You're deteriorating. And part of the reason is is you're, you're neglecting something that's very important. So what I'm saying to you today is, Let's, let's raise our faith. Let's raise our expectation that as we receive this, this is not a routine. This is not a law. This is an act of worship. This is a sacrifice and offering of our praise and our thankfulness to God. Jesus took the bread. He said, take this, eat this. This is my body, which will be given up for you. His body was ripped. It was torn. It was beaten was mocked. Frankly, he endured the greatest torture and agony and punishment that a human body could endure to the point of death. So great that eventually the physical body 